This is a podcast about time. The time it takes to become an artisan. Heritage. Saving to buy something you'll keep forever. Sustainability. Memories attached to clothing that you've loved and lived in. Interiors. And the longevity of friendship. To us, the true definition of luxury. I'm Lynn Coleman. Join me and my friend Jill Brown as we chat about what makes vintage so special. Welcome to A Guide to Luxury Season. A Guide to Aberdeen. I'm convinced the creators of Dallas did a spell in Aberdeen, coining the programme that defined a decade from the oil-rich soils of Silver City. Sue Ellen has to be based on an Aberdonian glamazon married to some nasty womanising billionaire who treats her contemptibly. The city still maintains the excesses of the 80s, its money-hungry ethos burning as brightly as the flames on the rigs. Here, they work hard and play harder, and their vintage is an homage to the style and razor-sharp tailoring of this exorbitant epoch. Dubbed the decade taste disposed of, the 1980s can only be described as the marmite of fashion. Loved or loathed, this chapter divides more of the sisterhood than any other. The fashion forward lap it up, while the rest look on bewildered. If Laver's timescale stands, you define the decade as ridiculous or amusing. If not, chances are you lived in Aberdeen or you'll love it up there. Personally, I think that the 80s gets a raw deal. Sure, there were some real unforgivable manoeuvres on the fashion checkerboard. I think it's time to banish the memories of poodle perms and scrunchies that matched your rara skirt and rejoice in the resurgence of Jean Muir and the birth of Vivian Westwood and Carol Lagerfeld taking the helm of Chanel. Of course, Aberdeen has more to offer than the vintage explorer than the threads of that specific time, but they do it so well that you would be a fool not to shout about it. Now, Aberdeen isn't bursting at the seams with vintage. It's a growing scene. One that's already ha- has a very strong identity. While plotting your shopping path for the day, you'll find yourself veering from place to place organically. There's a handful of top-notch vintage stores in the city centre, and the rest of your vintage will come courtesy of the charity shops. So I used to go to Aberdeen quite a lot and visit Emma, because Emma went to university there, my best friend, and we often went and did a wee, a wee castle explore because we were a bit obsessed with history. The so castles up there are bloody brilliant. I mean, and there's hundreds of them. Yeah actually hundreds of them so we do a nice little guided castle tour and then have like a nice lunch somewhere and then go out in Aberdeen in the evening well the, the great thing about Aberdeen is it, it, it's bitterly cold don't get me wrong it is it has that kind of Edinburgh fierceness about it but on a warm day it can it can feel like you're in some tropical land and the the you know there's the sand dunes right at the top of Aberdeen there are incredible but no you're right there's there's just there's something really really lovely there and I think that that romanticization from the royal family you know going back to where George V came up to Edinburgh then going into the sort of Victoria and Albert era of Balmoral that whole area up there really has been steeped in a kind of odd wealth and royalty you know like from from oil rigs to palaces oh yeah it's like a, a huge pocket of wealth isn't it it's like mm-hmm. a massive pocket of wealth you know from Aberdeen into I mean they call it royal Deeside. yes you know it's and there's a lot of money there and a lot of influence and you know and um, estates um, well that's it I mean the fact that I think Aberdeen airport's probably sustained by the fact that a lot of people fly in to then go and stay 
on these big country estates. I did a piece of work in a job a couple of jobs ago with um, a butler service. I mean, a lot of their work is is up in the northeast, and what they do is they sort of if you are hiring a big country pile for the week, they they will send you up you know, a butler and and they will arrange a fleet of Landrovers to meet your plane and take you. And, you know, that's a huge source of income for the country. No matter what you think about that, it's a massive source of income for the country. Still for people to come, particularly between August and sort of November, to come yeah, and it, shoot stuff. And it was something that I never even knew about until, you know, quite recently, I have to admit, growing up in Scotland, I really didn't know that that was something that we had on our doorstep. And yeah, people feel really, really funny about it. You know, it's, as I do, I do feel funny about it, but I I am torn between the agriculture and the farming of the land. And then also I get quite annoyed about what's happened to the land up there that, you know, I I get really excited to that the owner of ASOS, I I don't know if I've told you this, he is, um, I think, currently the largest landowner in Scotland. Yes, yeah, yes. And what he wants to do is rewild. So he wants to put wolves back in. And I'm like, this is amazing. This is absolutely amazing. But that all stopped 200 years ago when people were trying to make money off the land in a different kind of way. But it meant that whole ecosystems were completely decimated. You do see that imprint from wealth and royalty and also the mining of the land. You know, we mine the oil out of the the water off the the shores of Aberdeen and then the estates that that surround that whole part of 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 Scotland but you can't you can't hide from it in in what we wear and what we export you know we export that oil but a lot of the things that we are famous for come you know cashmere under tweed to keep you warm on a shoot you know and not our type of shoot out with a gun type shoot and that's been a huge part and it's it's interesting because it's the northeast it's a big part of life down here as well often i'll sit down here certainly right up until maybe a few months ago you would hear guns outside you know and it's just a massive mass and that's why loads of people have dogs here they they, they they're they are genuine retrievers you know they go going and get what's been shot but I think up there it's it's tied into quite a, a luxurious experience you know, if you've got the right amount of money and it's an awful lot of money you know you go and have an amazing week and you go on a few shoots and then you have an amazing picnic on the mountain and all that stuff's brought up on the back of a horse and that happened. Could, oh the, the experiences you can have that I learned about through that butler was just extraordinary, like extraordinary, almost like turning the clock back. 200 you know, years like, to when yeah. Victoria and Albert were here. That sort of famous scene in Downton where they have like this sort of picnic at a table on a hillside, you know. Happens. Happens, yeah, because... Just not for us. Money, yeah, absolutely not for us, unless we were carrying the table up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, these sort of money can't buy experiences are extraordinary. What's interesting about Balmoral and certainly the estate around Balmoral, as far as I understand it, is uh, because of Prince Charles, there's been a huge amount about making the estate more renewable. Yes. Yeah. And he's done the same with Dumfries House too. There's a there's a huge um, amount that he is, he's done there, which is incredible. So yeah, the, the vintage there, like I said, so the, the, you know, I read you the pages from, from the book. That was 10 years ago. And you know, I, I know when I had, I had gone up there that the vintage shops were brilliant. I mean, you couldn't move for bashing into some Lord Ashley. That was really, really great. And I, I'm pretty sure, even though I haven't been up in the longest time, that you'll still get that 80s element coming through into the charity shops. 
And actually, you know, the book is 10 years old. And even though I was talking about the 80s being this polarising decade, now we are very much seeing it through rose-tinted glasses and that that Diana movement within the crown and, you know, her wardrobe. Now, when you look back at those images, is just to die for. You know, it, it, it's palpable when you see some of the images. And we're going to be talking to um, Beth and Holt really, really shortly, uh, who's just done a, a book about um, Catherine and, and her wardrobe and, and the, the Kate impact, if you like. But we absolutely see that in her day-to-day where it just, for me, really, really breathes Aberdeen in the North, you know? Yeah, I think it is. It's that, that amazing sort of... Because we were children in the 80s, you know, when you were talking there and I was having a laugh because I remember having like a kid's version of a rara skirt mm-hmm. and, and and like a little like t-shirt that had like a tie just above my belly button and all <laughs> that sort of stuff. But watching The Crown, and I am an avid watcher of The Crown, and seeing sort of Diana's clothes yeah. and just, just, I can't imagine what that meant for people at the time. Like you can see why people adore her yes, because it was so different. It was so different. When you see her in comparison to Anne, who would have been roughly her age, they just dressed completely differently. It was just like this new guard era in the royal family. Yeah, exactly. Where, where, yes, you could be appropriate, but you could also be glamorous and absolutely beautiful. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And people just wouldn't have known what to do with that. You know, here was this old institution and suddenly this blonde siren in the middle of it. When I think about Kate, and we'll, we'll talk about that, obviously, with, with Beth. And I do think about her in her barber and her cashmeres and Aaron knits too and tartan scarves. And, you know, she famously wore a Strathairn scarf, at, at one from the mill uh, that was hand knotted. You don't know when these things, things are being purchased because they just do it, you know. And But the... The magnitude of her being able to shine a spotlight on something like that is, it's night or day for a brand. It's, it's incredible. We will talk about it with Bethan, but, you know, what that meant for a resurgence of British-made stuff. You know, when she started to wear bar bar and suddenly that became aspirational, whereas before... You, you it was know, function, wasn't it? Yeah, and you were just being like, why, why would I spend that, you know, on a barber jacket? A raincoat. That, yeah, exactly. I'm getting a dog, which is very exciting. And their their influence extends even beyond that. Um, because I was chatting to the breeder and she she brought out their dogs. And they've got this gorgeous black cocker called Freddie. And Freddie's got 300 kids. What a slut. Because when Kate and William got their black cocker, that's what everybody wanted. They wanted... So the demand for Freddie's offspring went off the chart. So you can see how they totally had an influence not just on attire and being out in the countryside, but also on the type of dog people wanted to have. Well, Freddie is a lucky dog then, isn't he? Mm. He is, he is. No, <laughs> very waggy-tailed dog. Very happy. Quite light in the, the sack region, I would I would imagine. <laughs> Do you know what? He's looking good for 12. He's a good advert for 300 children. He was looking good for 12. He's like the Robert Redford of, of canines. Exactly, exactly. Aging very well. Mm -hmm. But I do think it's it's interesting that whole I think if you're not from Scotland and you don't know that, like I think that's Well, I didn't even know that. That's what we were saying. I didn't even know this stuff existed until you know you move into 
a world of writing about it because I don't experience it either. It was you that that started to inform me about it, and 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 then from going to the mill that I discovered. I mean, I always think the money in Aberdeen is gobsmacking, even for Scottish people, as you say, because I remember certainly uh, so Emma went to university in Aberdeen and when she left I didn't go very often and when I went back I would go back for work and I remember getting off the train and they just sort of now then attached to the train station was this new shopping centre that had an Apple store before Edinburgh or yes. Glasgow had, which was extraordinary you know had Mark Jacobs you know you're just like this is a the equivalent of Prince's Mall you know and it's got all these big designers. What does that tell you about the money in this city? Yeah. And Princess exactly. Mall is not, just so we can clarify, is not a nice place to be. <laughs> I mean, Princess Mall, it's, it's a shame it's sort of died to death. It's, wee, I mean, it's a wee dowdy um, shopping centre that's kind of stuck at the, the God love them, stuck at the bottom of the Balmoral Hotel mm-hmm. in Edinburgh. Yeah, but that's you're right. right for Aberdeen's equivalent, you know, like a train station um, shopping centre. And, you know, it's it's mostly now a, f- a food forecourt, isn't it? Which makes sense because you want food before you or after you've been on the train. But it used to have shops, you know, it used to have French Connection in it and, you know, a few decent shops. You then see the equivalent in Aberdeen and you're like, oh, no, this is this is interesting. That This isn't even the capital city. We've got Bethan with us and you've just released probably one of the most zeitgeist books about my favourite royal, and I think actually the world's favourite royal right now, which is Catherine the Great. So tell us a little bit about that. I have, yes. Um, So I've got a new book out. It's called The Duchess of Cambridge, A Decade of Modern Royal Style. And it's really a celebration of the fact that um, in April, it's going to be 10 years since Kate and William got married. And obviously in that time, Kate's effect on fashion has just been completely immense. She's worn hundreds of outfits. She's done all these different interesting things with her fashion from wearing high street, being a royal who wears skinny jeans and trainers, just like any 30-something-year-old mum, to representing British fashion on the world stage, wearing some of our most um, important fashion houses, showing off incredible fashion techniques, and skills and so yeah it's just a celebration of all those things really and a journey through her outfits and how what she wears sends such strong messages about who she is as a modern royal and the power of clothes actually. Yeah it's huge and how they can tell the story of where we are economically and culturally you're you're absolutely I'm, I'm so excited that you did it because you have seen this from a journalistic point of view, you've worked at The Telegraph now for how long? Uh, I've been there about five and a half, six years. And then before that was was still writing about her yeah. in various ways. Yeah. So um, it's definitely a journey that I have followed and written about along the way. So in a way, writing the book was like just pouring my head, you know, what was in my brain onto some pages of a book, which was really exciting. What do you think about her style that makes people gravitate towards or what is it about what she does I think what she's done is really clever because she hasn't made herself into this sort of super duper fashion icon that's sort of on a pedestal and like a supermodel and no one could um, aspire to be like her Um, but she's done interesting things with her clothes 
So I think people can relate to what she wears. You know, she shops in Zara. She wears M&S. You know, she sometimes wears the same thing more than once. Um, <laughs> and so I think she's developed this way of dressing, which has made people think that they can be a bit like her as well, which is part of this whole strategy of the royal family gently showing that they're just like the rest of us. And yeah, her fashion has really helped her to do that while at the same time showing this kind of very modern, glamorous way of being um, a young duchess today and giving us these really kind of dreamy moments of fashion on red carpets and at state banquets. Yeah, I was going to ask, because I mean, I'm totally obsessed with the crown and some of my favourite bits are, are the outfits and stuff. So how has she how has she brought that up to date? Because there's obviously protocol and there was lots of stuff around when Meghan and Harry got together about how she would have to change how she dressed. So how has she sort of made it modern but still stuck to the rules? Yeah, I think that's really interesting. And when I was um, researching the book, it was really striking to me how one day Kate would be in something that you would never have expected a royal to be in before, doing something that you wouldn't have seen before. So she might be like round a campfire with a load of scouts, um, toasting marshmallows with them. And she would just be wearing the kind of coat that the rest of us would wear if we were around the campfire or walking our dog or something. So you just feel that relatability. And it's a bit of a surprise to see a royal wearing that. And yeah, in the crown, I guess maybe we've seen them wearing those kind of outfits, but that's the imagined behind the scenes, what they're doing when they're not in the public eye kind of thing. And then you get these bigger moments as well, which she has still done. And I think she's taken a lot of lessons from the Queen, you know, wearing these bright colours so that you can be seen in a crowd. The Queen once said that I have to be seen to be believed. And that's why she wears these big block colours. So even if someone's waiting to spot her from seven, eight deep in a crowd or across a road, they could still say they've seen the cream because they've seen her pink hat or something. And we get that a lot with Kate as well. You know, she'll wear a really bright red coat or a, a yellow um, dress that trooping the colour or something like that. So yeah, it's just that really interesting balance of surprises that modernise and also keeping that tradition as well and the protocol, as you say. We haven't seen Kate do anything crazy like, her, I don't know, wear a bikini <laughs> on a beach or something. I, th I think you're right that the, the thing about Kate and the royal family in general is that we get to pore over their images because they are, you know, out in the public. And those things date really quickly. You know, we're, when we're talking about vintage, the last 10 years you've been able to sift through each outfit, you know, from from the moment that we met her when she went to university at the same place as Jill, which Jill frequently tells us about. Where did you go, Jill? At the University of St Andrews. There we go. Uh, I was deliberately not mentioning it. I thought <laughs> yeah. it was my perfect opportunity. I was actually the year below them, just FYI. Playing it cool. It. Yeah, I never play it cool. If you listen to the podcast, I mention it every single podcast. <laughs> uh, she's, she's not being paid by them either, which is outrageous. They should be subsidising you on a weekly basis. But yeah, back to that, you know, that she, from going to university all the way through to mum of three, a proper jobbing royal, you know, she is, they are, they are front and centre. Every single moment has been captured much like her, her late mother-in-law, you know, and, and the pressure to get it right has, it must be, it must be immense. But we've, we've been able to watch that journey over a decade and, you know, being able to, see that in vintage terms 
What do, what do you think about the changing of that style over 10 years? What do you think that says about where we are culturally, what we've been doing economically? I know this might sound like a really difficult question, but her outfits completely take us through the last 10 years, right? Yeah, totally. And I think, you know, obviously 2008, there was the big financial crash. You know, the world was in, a, you know, a more precarious position, wasn't it? And so for her to be this new royal who could come along and... A, wear things that weren't incredibly expensive, hadn't been made by, you know, a couture designer for every single event that she went on was just hugely refreshing. I mean, one of the first images that comes back to me is seeing her and William's engagement portraits, you know, and that is going to be whenever anyone looks back at their life together, those are going to be such pivotal moments. And I mean, she was wearing whistles and wreaths, which any woman might at that point would have had in her workwear wardrobe. And the boost financially to those brands, I mean, one of the stats I have in the book is that she has boosted the economy in some years by up to a billion pounds. Um, That's incredible. The fashion, the fashion industry. And, you know, sometimes it's the fact that a dress sells out because she wears it, but it's also this bigger effect. You know, brands like LK Bennett, like Reese, they were able to expand into America yes. because she made their brand name really well known over there. Before that, they didn't have as much traction in the States, but once Kate had worn it, everyone knew that name and they wanted a, a piece of it as well. And that that is just such a huge um, influence to, to be able to have. Around the same time that she became um, a royal, there were all these kind of young British designers who were fairly in their infancy. So I'm kind of talking about Erdem, yeah. Christopher Kane, Amelia Wickstead, and she supported them. She's been wearing their designs and again, has helped those labels be known on a world stage you know anytime anyone mentions most of those labels the first thing anyone will say is oh yes that you know the Duchess of Cambridge wears a lot of Erdem a lot of Amelia Wickstead and so she has been able to help make those into you know really well-known names in countries that they might not have otherwise reached. She's been really great, actually, too, at supporting the, the Scottish textiles industry. So she has worn a couple of the scarves from from my mill. She and and you don't you don't know you know that someone buys that somewhere anonymously and then it ends up on her and you're like, oh, I've seen it firsthand coming from you know the back end of of the textile industry. And I really love that about them because you know the Queen currently. And obviously, right back to Victoria, that love affair with with Balmoral and and particularly Scottish textiles, cashmere and tartan, they really, really walk hand in hand. And she's been able to do that in a beautifully modern way without it looking twee or even looking staged. You know, she's just effortlessly been able to shove on a barber or put on a tartan scarf and and it not look like she's had to do it. Those sort of British icons that she's brought back and she's made them not, you know, if you think 10, 10 years ago, Barber, Hunter, Dubarry, all these things were very much related to old fuddy-duddy countryside type stuff. And then you see it on her in a dog walk or she wore the Dubarry boots, I think, in New Zealand or wherever. And then suddenly there's an there's a touch it's still British and she's part of the biggest, oldest British institution. And yet she manages to bring an element of 
class and cool to it almost. Yeah, she's a fresh face and she makes it really relevant to women her age and shows them how it can fit into their life. And, you know, that you could wear a kilt with like a really cool black polo neck and some black heels as a cool workwear look or something, um, which I think she's done. Or as you say, with tartan, wearing it in a more up-to-date, different way, like wearing it as a scarf. Recently, she wore a tartan scarf with a tartan skirt as well. It wasn't like an official tartan. It was like a tartan print from Amelia Wickstead. But just showing that kind of more like exciting, innovative way of doing it and keeping that tradition and that respect, but just updating it, I think is is really exciting. And also, it's really important for the royal family to keep showing their longevity and to keep nodding back to their own history and their relevance over hundreds of years. And so, I mean, I don't think that we've seen Kate wear the Balmoral tartan yet. I think actually right now she wouldn't be allowed to wear it. There, There's a protective protocol around it that it's only for certain members and certain households. So she might not technically have... Been... She might not have the permission. Yep. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's the queen in the queen's gift, isn't it? Yes, to be able to wear it. Yeah, absolutely. That it, will be a huge honor for her when she when she does get to wear that, which will be. But I also loved that she wore the black watch tartan, which you will correct me if I'm wrong, but I've heard that this the tartan that anyone can wear. It doesn't matter what you're. Absolutely. So that's very cool as well because that's we were talking about her being relatable and being one of the people. What better way to show that than to wear a tartan that's that anyone could could wear yeah, it's it's really 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 wearable because it's dark navy and dark green so it, it, it's, yeah. it's great it's so for any color palette for any age actually you know it, it just it's it's a really sumptuous tartan that works and we I, but I laugh about this a lot being a, a tartan freak that you know it's this fabric that can wrap itself around a myriad of of different genres you know you can go to war in it and you can make love in it you know you get married in it you can fight in it you you know it was part of a rebellion and it wraps itself around royalty now it's just it's probably the most iconic fabric in the UK I think when it's on her it's just a match made in heaven I think there were some pictures of her like playing hockey wearing her Blackwatch tartan coat which yeah again it just takes it into this really exciting context um I'd love her to get a Strathern tartan kilt or skirt or something as well yeah she has she has a um, silk scarf in that which is that's for for anybody doesn't know that that's the yellow and red it's it's quite when you see it off of somebody it looks quite garish but then when you see it on someone it it looks great that's her title in Scotland isn't it um Countess of Strathern so so nice and she also had a maple leaf tartan but she wore that in Canada she had a scarf on that in Canada so it's brilliant that she's just supporting that traditional fabric and obviously tartan is something that's been co-opted by different styles of anyway hasn't it you know the punks wore wore it as well so now see this other royal wearing it in a different way is is really cool I love the idea of the logistics of her going somewhere. I I always, you know, you think when they go to Canada or they're going to New Zealand or wherever and the logistics involved of getting them packed, getting them ready and knowing that she would need certain nods to the culture there, but also who she wants to represent when she goes. I love that. I know there's so much dedication and thought that goes into her, I like to call them tour drobes. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, she's always going to be thinking about both representing Britain and representing British um, textiles and talent, but also showing some diplomacy to the country that she's going to as well. So it's a really fine balancing act. You'll always see a little bit of that country and a little bit of British and all mixed together. And sometimes you can do them at the same time. One of my favourites is when she wore Paisley in yes. India. And obviously that's a, that's a pattern that has Indian origins and Scottish associations. So um, that was just a really clever thing to wear that during that tour. Where do, do you know how she does this? How does she go about it? Because I know that there are, the, the Queen certainly has official dressers. Does Catherine have an official dresser? Is that something that they have at their fingertips or is this all on her own? Uh, no, it's definitely not on her own. <laughs> um, she, ha- she has somebody who is called a personal assistant. She's not called a dresser, but essentially, you know, everyone knows her as her stylist. She's called Natasha Archer. And for the book, I interviewed lots of designers and they all said what a pivotal role Natasha plays. One of the people that I interviewed was a shop owner who um, provides lots of Pakistani designers in London. And so Natasha had come to her when they were going on a tour to Pakistan. And it was just so clear how much attention to detail was going into planning these outfits, even down to, you know, making sure that each outfit would be worn in the correct traditional way, that the scarf was on the right shoulder and that you know, the right trousers were going with the right tunic and all those kind of things. So yeah, it's it's a huge planning operation and something that, and I think what's really nice about that is that it shows that they know how important this is. And as soon as you see Kate step out anywhere, the first thing that you notice is what she's wearing and that powerful message, they know that there's so much that they can say with that and they've really experimented with it without making it all about her clothes mm-hmm. you know that she's just this fashion plate because she is much more than that I work in television and I've always wanted to make a documentary about the Queen's gifts you know oh, like yeah. there must be this absolute catalogue of but there's always a nod isn't it you know there's things that are you know brought out that a brooch or a jewel or something that dates back through royal history that is paired with an outfit yeah, totally. some, of the, some, some of them are sort of heritage pieces and some of them are gifts, but I would love to do something or find more about that because I think that's the, the sort of archive of information people must have to have is incredible. Yeah, and all the sharing. I, I know that um, there's a fern brooch that the Queen was given when she was on tour in New Zealand. Um, I think she was giving it as a Christmas present because she was there at Christmas in the 1950s. Um, and now, whenever any female royal goes to New Zealand, they get to wear this brooch and show. Aww. So Kate had that when she visited New Zealand. There's also a maple leaf brooch, which the Queen's father gave to her mother when they visited Canada. And so now Kate has worn that maple leaf brooch a few times. So, and anytime she wears that, it's not only seen as a compliment to the country, but it brings out that whole family history as well. So it's constantly reminding us that there was a queen and, you know, there was a king before the queen and, you know, that there's that family tradition that's that's going on into the next generation. That's so lovely. The, the jewellery on its own must be a, another book in itself, you know, never mind yeah, the clothes. So that, you think about the archive that the, 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 of textiles that they must have, let alone the, the jewellery. 
let, let's think about archives and let's think about what Kate has to do in terms of research. You know, so the Queen has this giant back catalogue and then there's obviously Princess Diana and, you know, the, the giant back catalogue that they have there. How do you even wrap your head around that as a writer, let alone someone that has to, to physically manoeuvre it? Like, where did you start? Oh, that's a good question. I mean... I think I'm really lucky because I write about this all the time. I wasn't starting from scratch. So, and I also love Princess Diana. So, um, so I have a bit of a kind of photographic memory in my mind of Princess Diana outfits and when they might be similar to something that, that Kate is wearing. A really good example was when Prince George was born and um, Kate came out of the hospital. The polka dot um, dress. Came, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And Diana had worn a blue polka dot dress when William was born and stood on those same steps. So that was really seen as a way of saying, look, we know that Diana's not here. She's not going to meet this grandchild. But we've now really made her a part of this moment because every newspaper is going to have a picture of Diana wearing an 80s version of the dress that Kate wore in 2013. So I think that's really good another one that really fascinated me and is really good because it was a vintage dress I don't know if you remember when she went to Ireland last year and um she wore this it was the first time she'd worn something where the palace announced that it was a vintage dress it was like an Oscar de la Renta pink spotty dress with like this ruffled neck it was really 80s it was really cool and I thought that was interesting because again it was very Diana um And this particular Diana picture had been in the news um, because they'd been filming scenes from from The Crown. And Emma Corrin had been wearing this pink polka dot dress in those scenes, which had been in the newspapers um, around that time and and online. Um, So it seemed like a nod to this dress that Diana had worn in Canada, which everyone had been talking about again because it had been replicated for The Crown. So I thought that was really lovely, too. See, the the vintage archive must just be, to go through that would be a thing of beauty. And yeah. and the royals do do that. They do put the their textiles. We, we had an exhibition last year up at the Queen's Gallery at Holyrood um, that had originally been um, in London. So you do get to to go and, and visit and see these incredible things. Yeah, I, I, I love a Kate exhibition. I mean, I think the only exhibition we've seen so far is of her wedding dress. Um but yeah, I mean, it would be brilliant if at some point... It was point... an amazing exhibition. I think it was 2010. I can't remember, but it was British design and it was in the v and 1950s to 2010, I think. Mm. And we had the Queen's coronation dress in there. Oh, beautiful. And it's then you realise how tiny she is. So yeah. I'm I'm tall, I'm five, I'm five foot ten. And they had this beautiful, it was in a beautiful glass cabinet. I kid you not, like the waist was like my two hands clasped wow, together. Wow, amazing. It was just, that, that was like the starting point of, of sort of, and, and it was just so amazing because it, it looked pristine. So it's clearly been kept somewhere and looked after, but these are huge parts of our history. And yeah. through that, you can see so much and learn so much and, you know, it, it was a sort of silvery cream colour. It didn't look like a wedding dress by any stretch, but there was a sort of nod to that. But it was just really extraordinary to to see 
this tiny woman, tiny woman with all this power, you know. Um, but yeah. it was it's, when you see those things up close, when you see those magical items, I think it goes back to what you're saying about how amazing Kate is because she has done the high street and all those things, but there are some incredibly priceless, beautiful things that she's worn. And to be able to see them up close and understand the skill and the talent that have gone into them is incredible. Yeah, totally. And I mean, off the subject of Kate, but I'm sure you you saw last summer when Princess Beatrice wore one of the Queen's dresses for her her own wedding. And they'd got this Norman Hartnell dress that the Queen had worn to lots of um, functions in the 60s, um, I think in the 50s and 60s, and slightly updated it so that her granddaughter could wear it for her wedding which was just beautiful and I'm sure lots of women could relate to that in a way like lots of us wear might wear our granny's veil or some part of something for our own wedding or whatever um so it was really lovely to see that kind of thing being carried on in the royal family when I mean they could just have she could have had any dress she wanted and she chose her granny's dress which is really sweet it is really sweet, isn't it? Out of all of the outfits in the last 10 years that Kate has done, give me your top five or three. Oh, wow. It's hard, I isn't think... it? Because there's been so many. And how many pictures are in the book? That must be like, I'm sorry, I'm asking you to to name your firstborn and tell me that you it like really more is. than your second really one. <laughs> there's 200 pictures in the book. I mean, that was hard enough to choose 200. Now you're ch- getting me to choose five. <laughs> Um, there was an Erdem tweed dress that she wore at the V&A in 2018 and that was just such a cool moment because she'd just come back from um, maternity leave with Prince Louis and she was like debuting this really exciting new look but it was really cleverly done because it was kind of a new look in that she looked a bit sassier and it was a bit more of a daring dress, but she still looked really elegant. And um, that was a dress from a collection which had been inspired by the Queen as well. So I loved that that nod to it, but in a very fashion way. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was a really cool one. I love loads of her tour clothes. I think when she went to Pakistan, there was just some really beautiful um, shawar kameez there was like this beautiful turquoise one that she wore to visit a mosque which was just so elegant um, I love some of the casual ones as well on the front cover of the book there's when she went to Bhutan and she hiked um, up to the bird's nest monastery which is this kind of very sacred hike and she wore like her skinny jeans her Penelope Chilvers boots a white linen shirt and a kind of gilet and she just looked very relaxed but very cool as well how many is that? <laughs> I think that's three. No, you're you're yeah. you're on to you. two left. Yeah. Two two left. Make them good. Uh, the, the wedding dress. I mean, I know that that's yeah. so obvious, but it's just it couldn't I'm, have been more perfect. Yeah, and that really set the tone actually, because I think until that point, Kate had really been seen as someone who played it quite safe with her fashion, and was a certain kind of, you know, just a polite, ladylike girl who would probably just choose like a very perfectly lovely wedding dress. But actually she took quite um, a bold decision in choosing Alexander McQueen, which obviously was this British brand that had quite an interesting history. Obviously the designer had been kind of controversial, but had, you know, totally um, reimagined British fashion. Um, And he'd 
died by suicide the year before. And now they had this new woman designer, Sarah Burton, there. And it was just a dress that had this kind of grandeur to it, but also felt very Kate, um, but just a little bit more daring and kind of stately, I guess. So that was, I think at that point, everyone was like, okay, there's a bit more to her here than, you know, just a lovely standard wedding dress. Yes. Uh, Yeah, so that's a really good one. And then have to be one of the evening one of her amazing evening gowns. Um, I'm trying to think which one. There's a Gucci one, which is just beautiful. It's like pale pink tulle. Um, Again, just very dreamy, but also just with that slight sense of modern, uh, modern, a bit of a modern kick to it, which is really nice too. So yeah, but I've I've got loads that I love. <laughs> I change my mind every time I ask this question. But that's the point, isn't it? That that yeah. you know there is there is a wealth of of wardrobe there to choose from. Yeah, and actually, your top has just reminded me of her Gucci blouse that she has, which was such a cool thing in her wardrobe. She has this purple Gucci um, blouse with a pussy bow neck de- neckline, and again, that was one of those things we never thought we'd see Kate wear, and. Um, she introduced that and has worn it a couple of times now and yeah it just looks really up to date and shows that she's got her finger on the fashion pulse a bit but can still look conservative exactly yeah clever she's clever (laughs) 